You're listening to the Real Estate Entrepreneur Podcast with Terrence Murphy, where we cover sales, investing, and entrepreneurship with an emphasis on real estate. Each podcast, Terrence and his guests will bring you informative and inspiring information within the real estate industry. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. We start off with a quote. This one's short. It says, all progress takes place outside your comfort zone. So we know in order to grow and to scale and to be the best version of yourself, I'm always encouraging you guys to run your own race. And I'm always saying be the best version of you because really that's your biggest competitor. So got a guest today. I'm excited to dive into some of the topics that she wants to, you know, really expand on, talk about her book, talk about some of the, some amazing things she's doing, talk about her podcast. Stacey Brown Randall is a multiple award-winning author of Generating Business Referrals Without Asking, host of the Roadmap to Grow Your Business podcast and a national speaker. She has had the privilege of helping well-known corporations and franchises, but her focus is on small business owners and solopreneurs. Stacy has been featured on national publications like Entrepreneur Magazine, Investor Business Daily, Forbes, CEO World, Fox News, and more. Uh, Stacey Brown Randall, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So on the real estate entrepreneur, we obviously talk about real estate, but we expand on all things, development, sales, construction, multifamily, syndication. And I know you have some topics that we're going to dive into that we've never talked about on the show to, yet. So I'm excited about that. But before we get into all that, tell me how you became a real estate entrepreneur, you know, in a couple sentences, your story and how you got into real estate. Yeah. So you know, I actually used to have my real estate license many, many years ago. The very first time I had to show a house after my babysitter canceled and my six-month-old was strapped to a baby bajoran on my chest as I was showing houses, I actually exited being a, a real estate agent. But now I get the opportunity to work with agents and others, of course, on a kind of a unique way of growing their business and looking at it from the referrals perspective and being able to generate referrals without having to ask for them. So from a young age, I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. Uh, we called them the crazy kind because most of them owned restaurants or were in the hospitality space. And so it just took a while for me to figure out exactly what I wanted my entrepreneurship dream to look like. And I had a failed business before I had a successful one. So I've done a lot of different things, but it kind of set me up with a portfolio career to be able to do what I do now, which allows me to be uniquely positioned, I think, to do what I do and how I help business owners generate referrals naturally. I love it. I love it. So before we dive into that strategy, what about real estate? Like, cause obviously that's one of your verticals. What about real mm -hmm. estate attracted you to this, this vertical or this industry? So I really love working with industries where my clients are what we would call dime a dozens. And I know that doesn't sound like it's a very positive thing because there's just a lot of real estate agents and whatever, whatever area, city, town, you are in. More than likely, there's just lots of you. And the larger the city, there's thousands of you. It's the same thing when I work with attorneys or financial advisors. Because the truth is, the thing about referrals that allows a real estate agent or an attorney or a financial advisor or anybody else to set themselves apart, it's not a strategy that you have to worry about somebody else using and competing with because it's a strategy you're using with your referral sources, which makes it perfect for each individual to be able to bring their personality to it, but also their relationships to it. So when I look at industries, usually I look at ones that where I feel like I have some knowledge, like I know what, what a real estate agent is going through. But then also I look at it as there's a ton of competition. And so to stand out differently and it not be because you have a certain marketing message or your billboard says a certain thing, or you figured out a certain Facebook ad campaign, it's a, this is all about you and your relationships. And it's something you uniquely control 
then it helps folks in that industry, even if they are a dime a dozen, really stand out and be successful in their own way. Love it. So I know you've worked with corporations, franchises, big companies really in this space, but you really focused on small business owners, like you said, solopreneurs, solo entrepreneurs, these individuals. Why why focus on that and not the bigger companies? What was your passion and thought process behind that? Listen, there's nothing wrong with big companies and big corporations. And when they come calling, I'm happy to have conversations with them. But the truth is, I like working with people that are walking in my shoes. Mm -hmm. I just, I find it more enjoyable. I used to be a productivity and business coach. And when I was coaching, I really liked coaching people where I got it without them having to really explain it. I didn't have to understand the politic management. Right. I had to understand what it's like to try to raise a family and grow a business at the exact same time because that's exactly what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So I just, I think I just have a heart for the small business owner, for the solopreneur, the me, myself, and I's, because I think that there should be nothing that stands in their way of being as successful as they want to be. However, they decide to define the word success. I think we kind of get caught up in society's definition of it and we sometimes forget our own personal definition of it. But I just like helping the individual who can make decisions, who can have a light bulb moment and can really, I can really get behind somebody who's like, Hey, I'm going to do this for myself or for my, or for my team and you know, how small their team is, but really has that potential to just grow and dig in. There's just, they're just, those are my people. There's just something about that tribe that I, that I really love helping. I love it. I love it. So you mentioned business coach at one point, you know, productivity coach. I want to dive into that part of your story real quick. <laughs> And then we'll jump in. We're going to keep stretching it out. We're going to make people watch the whole movie. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so when you were a business coach, right, what did you focus on? And if you were coaching me, hey, Terrence, here are like the top three or five things that week one, day one, year one, quarter one that I would focus on as a business coach for you. Yeah. So you have to understand kind of why I became a business coach. So prior to being certified as a productivity and business coach, I actually was back in corporate America. And my stint in corporate America was preceded by a business failure. So I started a a consulting firm. It was an HR consulting firm. And it lasted just over four years. It didn't quite make it to the five-year mark. Mm -hmm. And from the outside looking in, you would have thought that that business was doing really well because I had clients like KPMG and BDO and Ally Bank, but the business was struggling a lot on the inside. And so after about just over four years, I had to hang up my shingle and I went back to corporate America And I was always looking though for what's next. I knew I was meant to be an entrepreneur. I was not meant to sit on the leadership team wearing my heels and suits all day long. And so I was always looking for the exit strategy. I was always looking for the way out. And someone approached me and they said, you would be an amazing productivity and business coach. I'd done some training earlier on, like before my first kid was born. And I was like, okay, I'll I'll check that out. And uh, that I was always looking to get back to being an entrepreneur because I wanted to prove to myself as well that I could do it and I could be successful. And so I got certified as a productivity and business coach. And the productivity piece was the piece that I really was certified in, you know, going through all the trainings for and learning the productivity, like just the processes and the controlling, like the managing of your time and managing of distractions and, you know, how you use your time wisely and the information overload and prioritization and planning and all those pieces. And that was a lot of the training. The business coaching side of me came because when I was be coaching a business owner, we would naturally have conversations about what are you doing to grow? Where's your business coming from? What are your goals? How are you holding yourself accountable? And once you've had a business failure, you can see it. You can see it in other people. You can see it in sometimes how they answer questions or what they say. And you can be like, ooh, I'm not like, and I could just, and I'm not afraid to call it either. 
Um, and so that really became a piece of the productivity and business coaching together because I specialized in yeah. small business owners and solopreneurs. I had a lot of like real estate agents and financial advisors. And then that just kind of carried over as that productivity and business coaching practice kind of changed and morphed into what I'm doing now. Um, I just kind of kept that same clientele, that same, those same niche markets because they worked so well for me. But as a productivity and business coach, one of the first things that we would do is we'd always, I do a process called reverse goal setting. I do it now just for fun every December, um, but I obviously used to you know, train people in it. And we would do reverse goal setting to p- figure out where you wanted to be based on where you are now. And then we would create a strategy to get you there and what we call the 531. So looking five years out where you want to be, the three-year milestones you need to hit to be on pace for the five-year vision. And then where do you need to be at the end of one year to be on pace for the three-year milestones to be on pace for the five-year vision? And that one-year plan would effectively become your goals for the year. And then that's what we would hold you accountable to. And then, of course, if I was doing productivity stuff, that would be specific to whatever your productivity issues were as well. I love it. Yeah, it sounds like almost like EOS. You've heard of Geno Wickman and Traction. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's been something that we've really adopted and it's, it's, it's worked really well for us. So you pivot now, like you said, something you're doing now, right? And it's all about referrals, organic referrals. Let's dive into that. Like, what does that mean? What are you doing now? And, and how are you helping solopreneurs, real estate agents, you know, scale their businesses? It's funny. I say I'm doing it now and I'm like, well, actually, I've been doing it for almost a decade. <laughs> it's, it's been a while. Um, but yeah, so when I started out as a productivity and business coach, the number one thing I told myself is you already have a badge in the business failure club. Like you got your badge, you have your membership badge, you do not need another one. Nope. So figure out how to be successful. Like we're not doing the whole got to go back to corporate America thing again. And so I really paid attention to why my first business failed. And business development was like a gaping hole. It was like, you got to figure out the business development techniques that you're willing to do that will work for you. And for me, it was I was paying attention to all the different ways that my successful friends who owned businesses were growing their business. And it was referrals. And then I was like, well, I mean, I do really good work. I mean, I did have BDO, right? And KPMG hire me. Like, I do really good work. And then I look back where in my failed business, that consulting firm, not one referral, zero, like big fat goose egg of referrals received um, in my first business. And I was like, okay, that's something I have to change with my second business. So then when I became a productivity and business coach, I was like, let's get some referrals. I'm like everybody else in the world. I'm like, let's get those referrals. And like everybody else, I went to the all-knowing Google <laughs> and I started saying, hey, how do you get referrals? And Google would say, go ask for them. And it would be article after article, book after book, training after training. And it would say, you've got to ask, or you've got to give kickbacks, or you've got to be really promotional and gimmicky. Like, hey, the biggest compliment you can give me is a referral you know, slapped all over your social media and your email signatures. Just all these different techniques and tactics that I was like, yeah, but what if that doesn't work for me? What if that isn't how I want to show up in the marketplace? What if that isn't what I want my brand reputation to be all about? Like, what if I can I just get referrals naturally? Like, can't they just show up? Yeah. And most of the advice was like, yeah, you don't want to do it our way. If you don't want to ask and compensate and be overly promotional and gimmicky and network, then just hope they show up. And I was like, there's got to be a better way. And I do reverse engineer most things when I'm trying to figure them out. But truly, I'll tell you what, Terrence, in the beginning, it was like, let's throw some spaghetti up on the wall when it comes to referrals, do the opposite of everything you're taught, and let's see what happens. And then as I started generating referrals, I got 112 referrals in my first year as wow. a business and productivity coach that I didn't ask for. And then it was like, okay, now let me reverse engineer what just happened and mm. what worked. 
And it was at that same time that my clients were like, thanks for teaching us how to tame our inbox, but we'd rather learn how you're growing so fast. What are you doing? And I'd be like, I'm getting referrals. And they'd be like, great, teach us that. And I very quickly pivoted and started teaching my referral process, of which meant I had to figure out what the heck I was doing. And then having to teach it to somebody else really forced me to figure out, okay, what exactly am I doing? And then, of course, we've been doing this now almost a decade. So it's a very refined process now. But in the beginning, it was like, this is what I was doing. And as I was teaching it, I was explaining it. And because I have a background in in HR, but also human resources, but also in like data gathering and stuff, I started paying attention to the psychology and the behavior economics and the sociology and some of those other like science things about why referrals were working for me. And then I started building my strategy around that and teaching it to others. And I could figure out, oh, that's why that works, right? That's recency bias. Like, and I could figure out the different things and realized I'd built a scientific way to generate referrals, just doing it the opposite of what everybody has ever told us to do. And of course, now we've been doing it for almost 10 years. So it's having a ton of success and it's not just my success anymore, but it's the success of the thousands of clients that I've had the opportunity to work with. And it's watching them continue to have success that I think really continues to prove that referrals are evergreen and every agent needs to figure out how they're going to generate them in their business. If, even if it's in addition to other ways you decide to bring in business. Love it. So I know, I know at this point in time, the listeners are probably like on the edge of their seats. Like, is there a specific concept that obviously proprietary that you've built that you call it this? Uh, is it a, what is it? Like, what is it? What's different? Then, like yeah. you said, asking for it, the gimmicky. If the best thing you can do is give me a referral type stuff, I get all that. It's annoying. What is it? What is, <laughs> what is it? What, is, what did you do? Yes. So I teach that there's actually three foundational strategies that you really need to have in place in your business. You don't implement them all at the same time. And I can walk through those, of course, if you're interested. But yep. where they all intersect and what they all have in common is paying attention to why a referral happens in the first place. And as much as we want to believe that a referral is about us, as much as you want to believe, Terrence, the last time someone referred you, it's because they loved you, is not. Yeah. It's just not. Mm-hmm. They refer somebody because they're trying to help someone else. And why they pick you to refer to has everything to do with your relationship with the referral source. With the referral source is the person who knows that prospect, knows that potential new client who needs an agent. And so everything at the heart of my system and everything that I teach comes... Yes, and there's lots of like pieces to it, right? But everything comes back to, it is all about the relationship you have with your referral sources so that you can impact how they feel about you or able to direct what they're thinking when it comes to you. And that you're making sure at the end of the day that you actually control the desire for them to refer to you. What you don't control is the opportunity, how often they'll come across opportunities. So who we pick as our referral sources matters if we want volume of success. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the heart of my system is like, hey, referrals come from relationships. And relationships have got to be maintained with connection. And you've got to make sure that you have that as a, as a strategy, as a process, as a plan in your business. Now, which of those that you decide to deploy, they're all going to come back to, it's all about the relationship and it's all about your referral sources or those you want to refer you, picking you over any other agent they could refer to when they have the opportunity. Oh, I love it. And I think the biggest thing is people always tell us, you know, you got to send them one email blast a month. You got to touch them once a month. You got to have quarterly past client events, right? Or you got to have lunch with everybody, or you got to write handwritten letters to everybody. 
or you got to do drop-offs, right? Where you oh, pop, <laughs> drive-bys, pop-bys, yes. pop, pop-offs or <laughs> yeah. pop-bys or whatever. And it's like, all right, I got to drop a whole basket of flowers on their door. It's like, oh man, like I remember the, for a couple years in, as I was scaling my business and I, you know, scaled to a billion in sales in like eight years and really just kind of took over central Texas. I remember thinking I needed to do that. But after like a year or two, I was like, I physically can't go by everybody's house anymore. So <laughs> these are all those myths that we're chasing. So you said you have three foundational strategies. Obviously, keep anything that's proprietary that you, you know, that people need to pay for. But if you could give me an overall, like a, a, an overview for our audience of what are those strategies and how does it be a myth buster to the things that we're being told we have to do? Yeah. So here's the first thing I would say. When people are thinking about referring you, right, they're thinking about helping someone else. So at the heart of everything you do, I want you to keep in mind that referrals aren't about you. They're about your referral source being the hero and helping someone else. And so that has to be the lens through which you take care of your referral sources, the people who refer you as they're the hero and they know the people that need you. Right. So if you do everything through that lens, right, that's the number, that's, I would say that's the number one piece that's different than what everybody else is teaching in the real estate space when it comes to referrals. Because what they're teaching you is that the trigger to get a referral to happen is because you're doing the asking or you're doing the compensating. Right. And I don't really mean the real estate agent to real estate agent compensation because that's how it works in the industry. I'm talking about the under the table kickback stuff or, or that you've got to be in front of everybody and network so that they remember you. Right. And so you got to be networking and knowing a ton of people and networking all the time. The, the mechanism that triggers the referral is all about what you're doing constantly. It's that mm. you're constantly asking, you're constantly reminding them that you pay bonuses or what commissions or whatever, or um, bonuses for referrals, or you're constantly like in front of them, them seeing you all the time. And the truth is, that's not what it takes mm. for someone to think about you and to refer you. So the three foundational strategies that I always teach are. So two of them, we kind of refer to them as like hand-to-hand combat. So the first one is usually if an agent's been in business more than two years, I would tell them to consider this, this strategy first. And this is what we do. It's, we call it the low-hanging fruit strategy. Because if you have been in business more than two years and you have more than five people referring you, you have what we call existing referral sources. Mm-hmm. So these are people who over the last couple of years have referred you. And the strategy that we teach is first, let's identify them correctly. And you'd be surprised how many people do not do that step correctly. Like they identify their entire database when in reality, if they haven't actually sent you a prospect, whether they turned into a client or not is irrelevant. If they haven't actually sent you a prospect, you can't count them as a referral source. Mm -hmm. And so they had to have referred you another human is what I always say. And so you need to know who your existing referral sources are. Then we create a plan with the right language to take care of them. But our plan is going to be like, you know, five, six, or seven outreaches or touch points in a year versus doing something every month. And your email newsletter is not going to count. And you can't do the same thing over and over again, right? Nobody needs to have coffee with you seven times in a year. (laughs) And nobody needs seven Popeyes from you like seven times in a year. Because when the minute it becomes routine, it's it's like, what are they after? Yeah, it's not genuine. Right. It's not genuine. And if you're not authentic in this, you are dead in the water. Mm. Like you actually have to want to care about these referral sources. And I always tell folks, I'm like, listen, if you're dead inside, it doesn't matter what strategy of mine you put into place. It's not going to work because you actually have to want to care about the people that are actually referring you or the people you want to refer you. So the first strategy is, hey, you've got existing referral sources. Let's identify them. Let's build a plan and use the right language to take care of them with a variety and surprise and delight. And don't you know, don't underestimate the power of a handwritten note. 
but not seven of them, mm. not in a year, like maybe one, and it's mixed in with something else. And so we use a framework that's kind of rooted in science of how we're able to deploy those five, six, or seven. Uh, we call them touch points as touch points. You can refer to them as outreaches in a year, but they're based on really making sure that we're impacting how the referral source feels. And then we're using the right language to make sure we're directing how they think from a genuine, thankful, grateful place um, that they refer business to you. And then you just got to make sure you create it into a system that you'll actually execute on. Because having it built and then it's sitting you know, on your computer and never executed on, it's like you might as well have not even taken the time to build it. So the first strategy, the low-hanging fruit strategy is existing referral sources. You get more referrals from the people who are already referring you. The second strategy is most people at some point, but definitely if they've been in business less than two years and have less than five people referring them, they're going to need more referral sources if they want to grow a business by referral. And to do that, you need to know actually how do you identify correctly the people who have a better chance of referring you? And then of course, how do you take them through a process to cultivate them into a new, brand new referral source from never referring you to wanting to refer you? And that's a process and it takes time. And you don't do it after just one phone call and you're like, hey, refer me because we never ask. So, you know, we look at it from the perspective of you got to focus on them. You got to be about helping them before they're ever going to come around and help you. And Bob Berg, author of The Go-Giver, he wasn't wrong when he said givers receive because it's the ultimate truth. It truly is what makes the world go round. And so from that perspective, you've got to be focused on helping them, but we take you through a process so you know exactly what it looks like. What's the follow-up? What's the language? What are we doing? And then making sure that it works for you, of course, as well. But it's the process to turn someone who's never referred you into a referral source. And then the third strategy... We, we kind of, it's kind of the biggie because it's got two objectives. One, it, it's called the referable client experience. So, one, it means actually what you do means you are referable, not just the work you deliver. Everybody thinks if I do an amazing job, then I'm going to get referrals. The truth is, you do not know if you're walking into a multiple offer situation in which you're going to lose like every time possible. Like, you don't control that as an agent. And to put that pressure on yourself to think that you do, and that's what's going to make it so that you actually deliver an incredible experience, it's not about that. It's not, a, it's not about the work you deliver. It is. It's important, right? But it's more about the expectations that you set and the relationship that you build that create that referable client experience. And then within the referable client experience, we also talk about looking at it from that perspective of, now, what are the things we could be doing during the client experience to plant referral seeds? to be able to have that opportunity to generate referrals from our clients and the client experience. So again, those three strategies, existing referral sources, let's get more referrals from them, potential referral sources, let's get new people referring you, and referable client experience. First, let's make sure you're actually referable in terms of your client experience and the work and the relationship you build, the work you do and the relationship you build, and that you know the moments in which you're able to plant referral seeds. Wow. That's good. That's really good. Well, we have been doing it 10 years. So we've gotten, you know, we get better and better at it all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. Like, like you said, you've done the scientific research behind it because you're saying similar things that I've coached on for 10 years, coaching agents and scaling my team. Because people always ask me, how did you take a startup brokerage in a small college town, a billion in sales? And, you know, the average realtor closes seven to 10 transactions a year. But at TM5, we averaged 38.6 per agent. So our per person production was you know, almost three, four X the market for 10 years in a row. And it's this very concept. But the way you phrase it is really good because I always say on the touches, you know, whether it's a handwritten letter or this or that, I always say touch them on different mediums. 
like different mediums. Like it's almost like mm -hmm. a, it's almost like sports, right? If I just keep doing the same move the whole game, and then we get in the fourth quarter, you know, I played football. We get in the fourth quarter, and now it's time for me to win the game with a minute left. And I do the same move I've done all day. The likelihood of me winning the game on that catch is not going to happen because I'm doing the same thing. So you you phrase it in a different way, which I love. It's really good information. Yeah. As my dad used to say, right, for football players, if you're not willing to run across the middle, you're probably not going to have that game-saving opportunity, right, nope. <laughs> to win the game. You've got to do something different. And sometimes, it's, you know, you, right, you just got to do the things that obviously... If you do the same thing over and over again, then also all your competitors know your moves yep. and your clients and your referral sources are like, oh gosh, here it comes again. Another pop by, another <laughs> <set of> flowers. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yep. You said two other things I want to point out to the audience before we pivot. You also talked about tracking, really understanding yes. what's working because I tell people all the time, you can have the best ideas in the world. You can create the best strategy in the world. If you're not keeping up with what's happening, then you can't not only pivot, but then you can't remake it. You can't make it a repeatable process. So mm -hmm. then you can't scale. You end up doing it on your own. And then when you, we know how it goes when you are doing everything yourself and it starts growing, then you start losing that consistency. So now this is awesome. This is awesome. Yeah. And the, the tracking piece is what gives you the benchmarks, right? It's yep. what tells us not only what's working now, but as we look back, then we can understand what's really working. And the data piece is a big part of all my processes. Everything starts there. With even with like the existing referral source strategy and the potential referral source strategy, it starts from a who are the people. Before you say, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? And how am I going to do it? None of it matters until you can identify who are the people. So who are your referral sources or who do you want to be your referral sources? And then tracking what happens tells you if you're being successful with it. So yeah, we're, we're kind of like data nerds over here in terms of like really getting into the, the data piece of what figuring out what's happening so that we know, A, to congratulate ourselves or to be, what do we need to tweak if it's not working the way we anticipate? Yeah. And I always talk to my team about customer acquisition. You know, when you're spending this much to get a new lead and these agents, see, I feel like agents really run away from past clients at times because they don't want to deal with things that might not have been perfect in the transaction. But mm -hmm. like the thing about our team is we own it, good, bad, and indifferent. And we step up to the plate. That's the athlete in me. You can't really hide when you're playing in front of millions of people on TV. And so you just own it, you deal with it, you address it, you move forward. And right. that customer acquisition where when you can get to where you're getting repeatable business, repeat business, so repeat clients, and then they're referring you clients, man, your customer acquisition prices go down dramatically. Yes. I mean, that's probably my favorite thing about watching, particularly with real estate agents, because you know it's the repeat client isn't going to happen every year. Like for some industries, right? It can happen every year. And for others, you kind of you have to wait for it because we just don't buy a new house or sell yeah. our house every year or invest in like, you know, three new houses every single year. And so the ability to to be able to have someone come back five years later and be like, yeah, no, parents, you're my guy. Like, of course you're gonna sell my house, but help me buy the next one or whatever, yeah. I think speaks volumes to the agent that is willing to stay connected. And then also at the same time has done a great job so that they're willing to work with you again. I think it's a big part of what makes it easier to be a real estate agent. And then of course, layering on top of that, leveling on top of that, the referrals. No, that's good. And just being patient, you know, it's mm -hmm. crazy. I just, I remember having, there was like two or three clients. They were my first listings ever in my career. I mean, it, I think I was 24 or something years old. And I just list the houses I helped them buy. We just listed them this spring been like 12 and a half years, 13 years later. And they, they just came back to me 12, 13 years later. It was funny because they came at the same time. It was like two or three buyers and they all listed this spring. 
<laughs> and these were clients I haven't worked with in 12, 13 years. So it's pretty, pretty cool. So I yeah, want awesome. to pivot. Thank you so much for that information, man. That's really good. And I want to connect with you offline with my team, maybe look at some coaching and stuff. On the real estate entrepreneur, we do this section called coming in hot. So it's just kind of like this. You probably heard it and seen it and we kind of joke around about it, but we time you and you got, <laughs> you got, uh, so we're going to, now we're finna compete. So I think the record is 24 seconds right now. So you know, I told your team that I'm not trying to win an award here because I like all my words. <laughs> so that's going to be tough for you, huh? <laughs> we'll see. I mean, fingers crossed. All I'm right. ready. But yeah, I'm, I mean, you know, I'm going to be okay if I come in, you know, like second, third or dead last. <laughs> get that, get that silver medal. So I'm going <laughs> to ask you five questions and you just answer them one, one word, one sentence, one ever, right? Okay. All right. So ready? Ready, Kyle? Yes. Oh, I got time. Do you have a college degree or no college degree? I have a bachelor's and a master's. All right. What's your greatest challenge as a child? Figuring out how to get over being voted out as the captain of our JV cheerleading squad because I was a tad bossy. Oh, man, that didn't work well. <laughs> what was your first attempt at entrepreneurship? Actually, interestingly enough, it was the one I talked about, the business failure. That's the first time I dove in. And then I went out in like, you know, high class fashion with a big failure. <laughs> hey, but you're back. What's the worst real estate entrepreneurial advice you've ever received? When I was starting my first business, the one that failed, I was also a mother of two young, two small children. I now have three. And I remember someone telling me, people like you with businesses like yours and your business type, more, I guess, like it was a hobby than it was the business. We don't win awards. And I let that go straight to my head about how serious I took my business. And I think that's one of the reasons why it failed. It's mm, a good wisdom from it. What was the one person who made the biggest impact on your career? My dad. Minute 05, minute 05. So see, I told you, did I come in last place? Because I'm also okay with that award. Didn't win any records, but you're at the back <laughs> of the line. That's okay. Good wisdom though. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing is the reason we do these questions are kind of random because, you know, a lot of times people think, oh, in order to be an entrepreneur, you have to be this or you have, like, I just think it's a quick little way to get some wisdom nuggets out of people. And so we've had some fun with it. So time management, obviously, as you scaled, you've taught that with the productivity. What is your secret to good time management? Any hacks? Any thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> so um, two things that I love most. One is ruthless prioritization. Your ability to prioritize continuously and on an ongoing basis and asking, is this the highest and best use of my time? It's a skill to develop. And then it is definitely one that will serve you well. Sometimes I'm great at it. And some days I'm not feeling it. Mm. Um, but the days where I'm ruthless with my prioritization... I typically will make the best progress, not just checking a bunch of boxes, but checking the right boxes because I'm forcing myself to prioritize. And the other thing is lots of people talk about time blocking. I'm a big fan of time blocking, but I find when I'm doing big blocks of time like that, if I change the scenery, so like if I'm working right now on my second book, so if I pick it, pick up my binders and my laptop and I head to Starbucks or a local coffee shop or the Greenway and I find a quiet spot to sit and work, I'm much more likely to get stuff done to what I said I would do versus if I'm just sitting in my office trying to get the same amount of work done in that time block. So change of scenery would be the other. Yeah. Just kind of getting a new backdrop. Mm-hmm. No, I like that. Have you read the, you've probably read it, Atomic Habits. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he talks about that, you know, really changing that environment and, and when you're creating a new habit. So it's a really good book and you know that. So yeah. what's your secret to good branding as you help business, being a business coach, productivity coach, what is your secret to good branding? You know, I think it's consistency. I think it's figuring out who you are, not being scared of it, embracing it, and then understanding what you believe and then not being scared to share it. 
I may have been doing what I have been doing now for 10 years, but there have been times where there are people in the industry who teach the opposite of referrals that where they have said like not such nice things about me when when their clients leave them and come to me to work with me or whatever. And it's just the one thing people always say is, but her message never changes. And she stands for what she believes in and her people have success. And I think consistency is key, but I'm a contrarian. I believe the opposite of most people when they teach referrals in the real estate space. So there's got to there's got to be a level of confidence and consistency behind that for just the, the ability to be successful in that. So for me, that's probably the best branding that I've ever had. Is like she's consistently been saying the same thing for ten years and <laughs> got the results to prove it. Yeah, I like that. We got that in common. Yeah, I haven't really changed up on the stuff I've been talking about. I've been talking about time blocking since 2010. You know, I've been talking about organic, real lead generation. And, you know, I remember when I got in the industry, but it's like floor time. Like I'm like, I'm the person like I will book a system if I don't feel that it's there, <laughs> there's real truth there. And I'm like, so you mean to tell me I'm supposed to sit here and be a glorified receptionist, not make I'm not even making minimum wage sitting here answering the phone. And the likelihood of this person finally calling in wanting to talk to me as a new agent is slim to none. They want to get right to the person with the listing. So I just bucked the system of floor time, especially in this town I was in back then. People were like, oh, you're crazy. I was the first broker that used to let agents put their cell phone numbers on signs because I wanted them to get the call. I didn't want them calling the office. So no, I love that. A couple more questions, if you don't mind. Sure. What's one technology service system hack that you're teaching people that they need to be? It's kind of like what DocuSign was years ago. And is there a new tech thing that you're working on or using? Um, You know, actually, I really can't stand technology. Like most of the time, it's a bane of my existence. I do it because I have to, and I have to use it within my business. And it definitely makes my life easier sometimes. But I'm the only one in my family that's still on an Android. Oh, you're on an Android? Yes. Like everyone's like, oh, what's wrong with her? Right. But, you know, I like, there's some things that I am not as forward thinking on maybe as I should be. But hey, if it works, sometimes you just don't need to break it. So I don't know if I'm the right person to ask about that tech perspective, what it ultimately looks like and like what tech you should be using. Cause I'm like, how do I get rid of some of the technology in my life? (laughs) No, that's good. So let's talk about your moonshot then. Obviously that's your one goal or dream that other people think is impossible or crazy, but it's your moonshot. It's your thing. Like, you know, it's your lofty, like one day I'm going to do, and you may be living it right now, but what is your moonshot for you personally? Well, you know, when I was little, I thought that John Elway was going to marry me. Like that was kind of my, <laughs> would have been my moonshot. Of course, now he's, you know, way older than me. Don't tell him I said that. <laughs> but um, so, you, you know, when I think about it, I look at the marriage that I have today, the children and the family that the children we are raising and the family that we are building. And I know that it, this is not what everybody has the privilege or the benefit, I guess, of having. It doesn't always work out for people the way that they hope it would be with their marriages and their families and their kids. And we've been really blessed and we're really thankful. And so when I think about what I want in the future, it's always more of this. It's mm. always more. My, my kids are now all in middle school. My boys are starting high school in the fall. My daughter will be moving into seventh grade. I don't have many more years left with them. So when I think about all the things I could accomplish or want to accomplish, it is create keeping this family as you know strong and as unique and as special as it is. Two of our children are biological. One is our nephew that we took custody of seven years ago. And that has been a tough road. And he's an awesome kid, but it has not been easy. So for me, it's not about what can I accomplish? What can I get? All the things I think I'm supposed to or that I want to 
Like I want to have a tiny house nation one day and have a bunch of tiny houses that are VRBO and up in the mountains. Like all those things I actually think will happen. They could be my moonshot or maybe not. But for me, it's really based on I just as long as we're blessed and allowed to by God, I want to keep this family just as unique and as special and as humble and grounded as we are and just together and being at this great family, which means my choices come down to being a present mom and an, and a fully engaged wife in addition to kicking butt with my business, but figuring out the right balance there. Mm. And that for me is ultimately what's most important. If I get to my if I get on my deathbed and I'm headed into the grave and I look back on my life, I'm pretty darn sure I'm going to look back and be like, I didn't miss things. I didn't yeah. miss the things that my kids needed me for. I was there. I was present. I remember them. They annoyed me when they wouldn't do what I said. I think that's going to probably be the way that I remember my life the best. And I think I'm living my best life with that in mind. Live your best life. I love it. So we have every one of our guests that come on The Real Estate Entrepreneur. We have them to suggest a book that's made an impact in their life. You got a particular book that we that you recommended. Can you tell me why you recommended it? <laughs> now, wait, what book did I recommend? As your book. Yeah, I was, did I? Because I usually am not that cheesy. I no, usually don't no, recommend no. my No, go life. ahead and drop it. Shameless plug. Let's go. Okay. It's Generating Business Referrals Without Asking. Um, it's available wherever books are sold. It is book number one and hopefully which will become one of many if I can ever get book number two out the door as well. So I hope it's impactful for someone else um, in that way. There's been lots of other books I could recommend that have been impactful for me too, though. Love it. Love it. Now I'm going to get a copy of that and want to connect for sure. So final thoughts, right? What do you want to leave our audience with as your final thought? And then where can people find you? Yeah. So if you're, if you've been an agent for two years or 22 years, and you have been hearing the same drumbeat beaten about referrals, and that's, you got to ask, and you've got to be willing to ask. You got to ask all the time. And who are you going to be asking? And how often are you going to be asking? And what are you going to be asking? What language are you going to use? I just want you to know there's a better way. And it is rooted in science and it's rooted in being a good person and it's rooted in authenticity and not worrying about manipulation and doing the things that make you uncomfortable. But it is different and you're going to have to be open to it for it to be able to work for you. But just because something has been taught to you for decades and people who are the mentors you look up to, it may work for them. It's okay if it doesn't work for you and that there is a different way to generate referrals. You just got to be open to it and willing to learn about it. Love it. So where can people find you, Stacey? StacyBrownRandall.com and Stacy is with an E and that's the home base. That's the website. It's the best place to find me. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. You graced the show with a lot of wisdom and knowledge and I look forward to staying in touch. Same here. Thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Appreciate you. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. Please subscribe on whichever platform you are listening and consider leaving a five-star review as that will help us gain traction and continue to bring you knowledge in the real estate industry. For more content, head over to terrencemurphy.com.